This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Warning. This podcast is an audio documentary of a real crime case, which may be troubling and upsetting to certain listeners. Listener discretion is advised. A man rides on the back of a motorcycle taxi along the winding village roads in eastern Java. Moving past an intersection, he suddenly shouts, The Black Beetle is coming! The Black Beetle is coming! The Black Beetle is coming! Who dares to fight against me? The news travels fast through the village. The Black Magic Sorcerer, Mr. Sumarno Adi, better known as the Black Beetle, has returned and he's ready for a challenge. Soon, more than a hundred villagers gather to give chase. Mr. Sumarno leaps across the White River, according to witnesses. Undeterred, the villagers wade through the waters, hot on his tail. Their chase leads them to a coconut plantation, where they close in on the sorcerer. Armed with sticks, swords and sharpened bamboo, they attack him. Miraculously, Mr. Sumarno is not injured at all. Seeing this, the villagers start throwing stones at him. The attack intensifies. And by noon, he's dead. This was the scene that unfolded in broad daylight over two decades ago, said local village chief Taufik Hidayat. Tapi kalau yang bersangkutan itu dibawa, dibawa. When the people brought him to me in a coffin, there was a lot of blood. You're listening to True Crimes of Asia, a special podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Arlena Arshad, SD's Indonesia Bureau Chief. The reporting and scripting for this episode was done by SD's Indonesia correspondent, Linda Yulisman. In this episode, we take you to Indonesia where we look at the murders of suspected sorcerers in Banyuwangi by a group of masked ninjas. We also delve deeper into the slew of witch hunts that followed and the mass hysteria and violence that spread across the Banyuwangi region. Finally, we will explore the possible reasons for the gruesome happenings and discuss how this incident was one of the several that paved the way for black magic to be criminalised last year in 2022 in the predominantly Muslim country of Indonesia. It all began in early 1998. Cattle were dying mysteriously in the village of Kaligondo, situated in the East Java Regency of Banyuwangi. The city is a ferry ride away from the resort island of Bali, but at that time, it was also infamously known as the Centre of Black Magic. 
And as the livestock deaths piled up, residents of Banyuwangi grew increasingly fearful and restless. Some of the villagers believe that the deaths were a result of Mr. Sumarno and his purported supernatural powers and wanted to put a stop to it. The widespread belief at the time was that whenever unfortunate events happened, it was most likely a result of black magic, said Mr. Taufik, the 41-year-old village chief. At that time, when people got sick or if the livestock fell ill, people went to a sorcerer who likely claimed that they were victims of witchcraft. And they were probably referred to black magic to solve their problems. While Orthodox Islam disapproves of black magic, sorcery has long been part of Indonesia's life and culture. Faith in the supernatural is also common among the nation's notable figures. The late former President Suharto himself who led an authoritarian regime from 1968 to 1998, was a strong believer in the supernatural. He allowed such advice to guide his decisions, political and otherwise. Even in recent times, the belief in sorcery is still strong. A poll in 2012 by Pew Research Center showed that among all the countries in Southeast Asia, Indonesian Muslims are the most convinced that witchcraft is real. In Banyuwangi, supernatural practices and beliefs are especially widespread. In fact, the region is notoriously known as the warehouse of sorcery. The city has also been home to numerous alleged sorcerers. They are also known as dukun, an Indonesian term for shaman. They dabble in divination, magical healing, and the lifting or laying of curses. This brings them in regular conflict with local Islamic preachers, with some tension between the groups. But it is said that the public killing of one sorcerer, Mr. Sumarno, aka the Black Beetle, triggered mass panic in the community. It led to more witch hunts targeting suspected sorcerers, many of whom were later found to be falsely accused. In the months that followed, waves of violence and murders spread across the region. And things escalated when local vigilante groups began retaliating against the attacks. Until today, there remains no definite justification for the attacks. And the true instigators or forces that fend the flames of the mass slayings have yet to be taken to task. But their theories claiming that political motivations were behind the attacks as they took place just after the Suharto regime ended in May 1998. Still, what is certain is that the hundreds of horrific murders did spur public discussion about the need to regulate the controversial but widespread practice of sorcery and witchcraft. 
And after a long wait for such regulation, Indonesia finally took the step to criminalize these practices last year, in 2022. While the incidents in Banyuwangi took place 25 years ago, the horrific scenes of torture and murder are still as clear as day for Mr. Taufik, who was then a high school student. He also attended the martial arts school owned by suspected sorcerer Mr. Sumarno. The 35-year-old was both famed and feared among the villagers for his practice of black magic. Mr. Taufik recalled that Mr. Sumarno once showed off his powers by cutting off all the electricity at a night market. Neighbors and religious elders had tried to persuade Mr. Sumarno to give up his practice, but he refused and even sought to upgrade his powers. Fearing that Mr. Sumarno would cause more trouble if he gained stronger powers, the villagers decided to take things into their own hands. As described earlier, they ambushed him, beating him with makeshift weapons and pelting him with stones. His murder at the hands of the violent mob on the 4th of February 1998 would be the first of hundreds of lynchings that year and the year after. Many other locals, including Muslim leaders, would come under suspicion of witchcraft. And they too were ambushed, tortured and killed in equally violent attacks. Were they really sorcerers? The attackers seemed sure. Nonetheless, a ferocious wave of hysteria against purported black magic practitioners swept Banyuwangi and spread to neighboring areas in East Java. People barred their doors and windows and armed themselves. Everyone lived in constant suspicion of each other. A terrifying witch hunt had just begun. The attacks that finally ended sometime in 1999 claimed the lives of more than 300 across East Java. In Banyuwangi, 194 people died in the bloodletting, according to an investigation report by Indonesia's Komnas Ham, which is the National Commission on Human Rights. Over in the Regency of Jember, 108 people died while seven died in neighboring Malang, bringing the combined death toll to 115. Just about anyone could be suspected of dabbling in black magic. Neighbors, friends, and even relatives. Unfortunately, many of the victims were merely ordinary people, farmers, and Muslim clerics. The slayings were horrific said senior journalist Abdul Manan who reported on the events as a correspondent with political magazine DNR at the time. He co-wrote a book titled Geger Santet Banyuwangi which means the commotion of Banyuwangi sorcerers murders. He told the Straits Times, Ada luka 
The suspected sorcerers were often found dead with gaping wounds caused by sharp objects. Some were burnt along with their houses. Others were hanged. The killings were brutal. Some were tied to the back of a van and dragged for a few kilometres. Others were beheaded. Their corpses hung from trees. Sometimes the violence continued even after the victims died. Attackers would mutilate the lifeless bodies, removing their organs or breaking their bones. Mobs prowled the streets at night, eager to hunt down anyone suspected of sorcery. And some groups of attackers wore black clothes and masks. Locals called them ninjas, the term used to refer to Japanese assassins known for their stealth and agility. Mr. Baker Ulung Hapsara, former human rights commissioner at Komnas Ham, was a student in Malang during the events that became known as the Banyuwangi Ninja Killings. He recalled how the ninja-like attackers were described back then. It was believed that they possessed superhuman powers. Rumors had it that the ninjas dressed in black and they could jump from the roof of one house to another. They also moved quickly. The descriptions are just like what we see in the movies about ninjas. The so-called ninjas often operated under the cloak of darkness and even cut off the electricity supply before they launched their attacks at night. It is said that they would mark out the homes of their targets, carry out their murders, and disappear quickly with little trace or sound. There was even talk that the ninjas could morph from humans into cats. Mr. Abdul Manan, now an editor with the prominent Tempo magazine, said these ninjas had interesting characteristics. They did not appear to be from the area, so people began to question their origin and motives as the attacks seemed well organized. The massacres were carried out by groups of people who wore masks, like those worn by ninjas. Although some of the attackers were local residents, it is believed most of the assassins were outsiders. One indicator was that they did not speak the local language, the Baniwangi language. They also move around in cars. They were known to communicate with walkie-talkies. This showed that these were premeditated and organized murders. And while all this was ongoing, authorities seem unable to effectively identify, arrest and stop the perpetrators. A curfew was enforced and most people did not dare to go out at night 
recalled Mr. Windu Subroto, a 59-year-old Banyuwangi resident who then banded together with other locals to defend their villages. Jadi, karena ada semacam isu, ada It was said that the ninjas would intimidate residents in our neighbourhood. So people carried out night patrols to make sure the neighbourhood was safe. They brought various kinds of makeshift weapons for protection. Machetes, swords, clubs, sticks. Each night, the the patrols took place from 8pm to 1am. Sometimes it lasts until about dawn. We also blocked off the roads. If there was a vehicle or a person who arrived from outside the neighbourhood, we would also carry out checks. To protect themselves, residents not only patrolled the streets, they began to fight back just as viciously. They hunted down dozens of suspected ninjas some were burnt alive, while others were decapitated. The severed heads were displayed around the villages on stakes. As both groups resorted to violence, the line between justice and vengeance was sometimes blurred. Mr. Samsul Effendi, then a youthful 17-year-old, was part of the group patrolling the village of Kalipuro to keep it safe from ninja attackers. But one day, the villagers heard about Mr. Suhamo. He was rumoured to be the most sophisticated black magic practitioner in the area who could cast misfortune on those who disagreed with him. He said he did not know much then, just that some influential people had given the group instructions to kill the man. So he and some 400 others gathered at the suspected sorcerer's home where they found the 81-year-old lying on the bed alone with a dagger in each hand. His family had abandoned him out of fear of the impending mob. With two others, Mr. Samsul dragged him to the porch where the elderly man was beaten and stoned to death by the angry mob. Mr. Samsul was arrested by the police. He and four others were tied up by their limbs and paraded around town on top of a jeep. The ninjas were caught. The ninjas were caught. Banyuwangi is now safe. That's what the police said. I wondered why they called me a ninja. All I did was to patrol my village to catch the ninja. What the police said was all nonsense. But not all involved in the murders and chaos were taken to task. In fact, up until today, most have never been prosecuted. The situation continued to spiral out of control and local press dubbed the area 
the Banyuwangi Killing Field. Beyond the reasons of witchcraft and revenge, some also began to wonder if there was a larger motive behind the attacks. To truly understand the possible explanations, one has to delve into the history of the region and Indonesia's period of political transition. Banyuwangi, along with Banten and Lombok, has long been considered the archipelago's supernatural centers. Sorcery has always been part of the region's social and cultural practices and beliefs. Almost all events taking place, whether in the community or to an individual, can be linked to the supernatural. This is especially so for negative incidents such as the death of livestock, bad harvests, incurable sickness or failed romantic relationships, where according to locals, black magic must be at play. However, this belief in the supernatural can sometimes be exploited for political purposes, said Banyuwangi-based historian and culture expert Suhalik. He believes this was what happened during the 1998 killings. Orang Banyuwangi sendiri memahami santet itu adalah ya bisa jadi sihir produktif, bisa protektif. Banyuwangi residents they understand sorcery in the form of productive or protective magic. Sorcery becomes a serious problem when it is mixed with politics. In such instances, yeah, sorcery is used as a scapegoat. Ah, throughout history, this has happened over and over again. But before the 1998 incidents, Mass killings have never occurred in Banyuwangi. Mr. Suhalik said that conflicts arising from black magic or its practitioners are usually settled within the community through an oath of innocence. Those accused of practicing black magic and who refuse to take the oath, known as sumpah pocong, are expelled from the village. They are wrapped in a long white sheet, similar to a shroud or cloth that Muslims are buried in. The Quran is chanted over the person who has to swear his innocence. It is believed that if the oath taker is lying, he will be punished with misfortune, illness, or even death. It is one of the highest gravity and significance. Since 1982, those accused of practicing black magic have been the target of assaults, according to contrasts also known as the Commission for the Disappeared and Victims of Violence. But in May 1998, the number of attacks in East Java, which was usually about three a year, started surging, said the group. 
This coincided with a watershed moment in Indonesia's contemporary history. Facing political turmoil under the authoritarian leadership of then-President Suharto, a cloud of frustration and despair hung over the nation in early 1998. The population was also grappling with the fallout of the 1997 Asian economic crisis, which pushed millions into poverty. In early May 1998, violence erupted across Jakarta and its surrounding areas. Riots, lootings and atrocities against the Chinese-Indonesian minority, such as rape and sexual assault against women, took place. 1,200 lives were lost in the chaos. This eventually led to the ouster of President Suharto that same month, a major turning point for Indonesia. He had been in power for 32 years. The riots, some 1,000 kilometers away in Jakarta, also proved to be fertile ground for suspicions and distrust to take root among the communities in the remote corners of Java. It is believed that some people jump at the chance to exact revenge against their enemies, choosing to use sorcerers and black magic as an excuse to settle their problems with sickles and machetes. Attacks and murders of suspected black magic practitioners in Banyuwangi started in February 1998. And up until July that year, there were only about 10 deaths. It soared to 47 cases in August and then climbed to 80 in September. In the next two months, murders occurred almost every night. Security forces were slow to respond or they chose to stay out of sight during the public attacks and executions. Some witnesses said the police seem to be holding back with little desire to intervene with full force. They were also outnumbered by the raging mobs hungry for blood. The crowds acted like they were above the law. And in some cases, villagers even protested outside police stations demanding the release of those who were arrested for the violent killings. The military only began to deploy significant forces months later. Mr. Baker, the former commissioner, said, Security forces let the killings happen. This was why there was a wide time gap between when the troops were dispatched and the murders. The events began in February, but the security forces only sent the troops in September or October. The accumulation of events made the death toll very high. Authorities eventually arrested around 100 people suspected to be the ninja killers. But in the end, only about 20 were charged. One human rights group 
sent an investigation team to Banyuwangi. It found that none of those arrested were directly responsible for the murders. Soon after, the Banyuwangi chapter of Indonesia's largest Muslim organization, Nadlatul Ulama, set up a team to investigate the murders. Many of the Islamic leaders targeted for suspected sorcery had been members of this organization, also known as NU. The NU recorded 147 deaths. It also concluded that the security forces were involved in the incident. Separately, a 2015 investigation by Komnas Ham declared the killings of the alleged sorcerers as a gross violation of human rights. Mr. Baker, who had led the investigation team, said, Peristiwa pembunuhan dukun santet dikatakan sebagai peristiwa pelanggaran HAM yang berat. The killings of the sorcerers are categorized as gross human rights violations because they fulfilled two key elements, systematic and extensive. The first point, systematic. Although there were many victims, there were certain conditions for the killings. Only certain people who met the conditions were targeted. The events also followed the same patterns. For instance, there were rumours disseminated by some people. There were always mobs heading to the houses of people suspected as sorcerers. Those spreading the rumours did not use the local dialects. These patterns indicated that the killings were systematic. The events were also extensive in nature, as they happened in many places. Torture, kidnapping, violence and looting. These were crimes that accompanied the sorcerer murders. We suspected that the perpetrators were a group of trained and organised people, as they showed the same patterns in each event. Even the details of the murders were similar. The Commission filed its report to the Attorney General in 2018. But authorities said there hasn't been any follow-up due to factors including a lack of evidence and witnesses. Various explanations about why the killings happened and who were behind them have emerged in the aftermath. Among the most widely believed explanations was that the attacks were carried out by trained assassins with links to the military. The purpose was to instill fear and anxiety to destabilize the new government in a post-Suharto period, also known as the era of reformasi. Journalist Abdul Manan said such a situation could justify the need for security forces to resort to strong actions. I think the sorcerer's murders spread fear and served as a warning as it happened during the transition period, as if to say that the events were the negative results of Suharto's fall. This was to discourage people from supporting the reformasi era by showing them that this is what happens. When you change the regime, you cause chaos. But the truth 
is that in many cases, it is chaos that drives change. It is also believed that those who were targeted were from a government's list of black magicians. This list of 337 purported black magic practitioners had apparently been leaked to the public. Another plausible explanation for the violent murders was that there were forces trying to unsettle the NU's stronghold in East Java. These forces hoped to disrupt the formation of the NU's affiliated party, the National Awakening Party. This party was founded by charismatic Muslim cleric Abdul Rahman Wahid. He later became Indonesia's fourth president in 1999. Yet another possible political motive was that the chaos in Banyuwangi was meant to block access to the resort island of Bali. Banyuwangi is a ferry ride away from Bali. Large crowds of Indonesian Democratic Party supporters had been set together for the party's congress in October 1998. The congress, however, went smoothly and it appointed Miss Megawati Sukarno Putri, the daughter of Indonesia's founding father Sukarno, as the party leader. Megawati was Indonesia's fifth president from 2001 to 2004. But moving past the possible theories, the spate of deaths did set in motion public discussion about the necessity and ways to govern and criminalize the practice of black magic. However, it took decades of back and forth discussions. In the 1990s, the government proposed the idea to punish sorcerers, but officials could not reach a consensus. Some experts said it would almost be tricky and impossible to charge sorcerers as it would require authorities to accept and recognize sorcery as real. Years later, in 2005, the Indonesian Ulama Council, also known as MOI, issued a religious edict of fatwa against witchcraft. In 2009, the Mui branch in Probolinggo, East Java, floated the idea of accepting the Oath of Innocence as an alternative legal solution to settle unresolved court disputes over black magic. This came after the local police complained about the difficulties in dealing with cases involving sorcery. The issue to revise the criminal code to include penalties for those who practice sorcery resurfaced in 2011 and 2013. Each time, it stirred controversy but was never successfully made into law. Among the various reasons, it was hard to prove that someone was a black magic practitioner. It was only in late 2016, 18 years after the Banyuwangi massacre, that articles to regulate sorcery and witchcraft found its way into the revised draft of Indonesia's criminal code. The deliberation of the new criminal code, however, took several years. Eventually, the new criminal law was passed last year, in 2022, 
along with regulations to criminalize witchcraft. Rancangan undang-undang kitab undang-undang hukum pidana yang sudah bertahan selama 59 tahun, alhamdulillah tadi sudah. Under the law, whoever admits that he or she has supernatural powers and then helps or offers to assist others to inflict harm or suffering on another risks being jailed for up to one and a half years or fined up to 200 million rupiah or 18,000 Singapore dollars. The jail term can be extended if the person is found to be earning a living from witchcraft. But senior journalist Mr Abdul Manan questions the effectiveness and need for such rules. Yeah, sebagai upaya untuk apa? Regulating sorcery does feel like we are retreating to the Middle Ages. Basically, there are numerous articles in the criminal code that can already be used to deal with the issues. If a person kills somebody, he can be charged using the articles relating to murders, and there is no need for articles on sorcery. Since then, there have been some attempts made by the Indonesian authorities to right the wrongs of the nation's past. In January this year, in 2023. President Joko Widodo acknowledged and expressed regret over Indonesia's past gross human rights violations. These events include the 1998 killings of sorcerers in Banyuwangi and could open a possible avenue for non-legal settlements for victims and their families. At the State Palace in Jakarta, Mr Widodo said Dengan pikiran yang jernih dan hati yang tulus, saya sebagai kepala negara Republik Indonesia, with a clear mind and a sincere heart, I, as the leader of this country, admit that gross human rights violations have happened in several incidents, and I deeply regret they happened. My sympathy and empathy go out. to the victims and their families. Empati dan empati yang mendalam kepada para korban dan keluarga korban. Former Human Rights Commissioner Mr Beka is now a member of a government team supervising the non-legal settlements for past gross human rights violations. It also aims to help victims and prevent a repeat of such abuses. negara juga untuk uh, memulihkan korban gitu dan mencegah peristiwa yang sama tidak terulang kembali mencegah peristiwa yang sama preventing the same abuses from happening again is also a way to rehabilitate the victims so that they will not worry about having to experience the same thing again that's what we are committed to and we are working on it The president asked us to work on this until the end of this year and it is possible to extend and adjust our services to suit what the victims need. 
We work with victims who have deep trauma. So, we must be cautious never to make them feel like victims once again. You were listening to the fourth episode of True Crimes of Asia, a new and special six-part podcast series started by The Straits Times in 2023. It was narrated by Alina Ashad, ST's Indonesia Bureau Chief. The reporting and scripting for this episode was done by ST's Indonesia correspondent, Linda Yulisman. Produced and edited by Hadiu Rahim and Faiza Sani. And the executive producers are Ernest Lewis and Tantem May. The next episode will be out on August 22nd and thereafter, the fourth Tuesday of every month. If you'd like to read more of Alina Ashad's and Linda Yulizman's columns on Indonesia, there's a link in our podcast show notes. Once again, do follow ST's True Crimes of Asia podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. Get notified when we drop the latest episodes. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A W E D I O.